Good morning, Door Creek. You are here. You are brave. You are hardy stock. You must be from the North Woods. Have no fear. We have hand warmers and foot warmers on your way out. It's all going to be okay. Hey, if you're guest here today, my name's Mark, and uh, one of the pastors, part of the teaching team here at Door Creek, and we're really glad that you came. So welcome to Door Creek. We're Christ Center Church for all people, and so wherever you're at in your journey, uh, this is a good place for you. We're really glad that you're here. So today, we're talking about the struggle is real, physical health. And um, I think we know that it is a struggle to be healthy for a lot of different reasons, right? So one of the reasons uh, the struggle is real is because we get older. And the older we get, the faster we get older. And the older we get, youngins, something happens that's not good. It sounds good, but it's not good. You keep moving to the front of the line. And the line isn't where you want to be in the front of, because it's the line when your life is over. And it happens as you get older. Obviously, you realize, oh, my parents' generation is, you know, I got like, what? what? I, no more aunts and uncles, no parents. And you're moving to the front of the line. There's this classic scene in the movie City Slicker. And you don't have to see the movie, because I'm going to give you the monologue. This is a classic moment in the movie where Billy Crystal is the father of Danny, goes to Danny's class, and he's being introduced at, you know, to the class, and Danny says, my dad's a submarine engineer, and he's not. He sells advertising for a local radio station, and then he waxes eloquent in his dressed-up suit to these, what are they, like third, fourth graders who are like glazing over as he goes through kind of this overview of life. It goes like this. Value this time in your life, kids. This is a time in your life where you still have choices, and it goes by so Quickly. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. Your 20s is a blur. Your 30s, you raise your family, you make a little money, and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? Your 40s, you grow a little pot belly and a second chin. The music starts to get too loud, and one of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. Your 50s, you have minor surgery. You'll call it a procedure, but it's surgery. Your 60s, you have major surgery. The music is still loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear anything. In your 70s, you and your wife move to Fort Lauderdale. You retire there. You start eating dinner at 2, lunch at 10, and breakfast the night before. You spend most of your time wandering around the mall looking for the ultimate and soft-serve ice cream, mumbling to each other, why don't the kids call anymore? Why don't the kids call anymore? By your 80s, you've had a major stroke. You end up babbling to some nurse who your wife can't stand, but whom you call mama. And then he looks at the class, and the kids are all glazed over, and he says, any questions? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was funny, too. Like, I, re I remember so well when uh, Kent Hughes, the, my mentor and the senior pastor at College Church, he would describe, he was an old tennis player, and he would, he would describe the aging process as the difference between a new tennis ball, whoa, with a lot of bounce, and an old tennis ball with not a lot. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> you know you're getting old when you go down to tie your shoe, and you go, that took a little time to get down there, and you're down here, you go, is there anything else I need to do while I'm down here? Because <laughs> it's a lot of work. And so the struggle is real because we're getting older, 
And things happen when you get older, and your body starts talking to you. And it's not kind of talk that we get excited about, like, oh, I know, I'm so sore. So um, then the second one is, uh, the struggle is real because you don't have to get older to, get, to be sick. They have a disease. They have the word cancer, a terminal illness. You know, to, to have some new normal in your life, and man, that is hard and it's not just hard physically because a lot of times they don't know what's going on right and so there's that hard and then there can be the financial hard that goes with that then there's the emotional and often you know if we're a Christ follower then there's a spiritual heart of this fight of faith like what's going on here did I do something wrong is God punishing me and so that's another reason why it's hard and the struggle is real and then for a lot of us, really the struggle has everything to do with how culture in our day defines masculinity, the perfect body, the ideal beautiful woman. What does that look like? And what we know is it's fake. It's not real. It's airbrushed. It's, it's, it's like nothing that we probably could ever attain in our life. It's interesting to read this week just about different cultures and thinking about that and one of the things I ran across is a lot of what we think about in terms of the ideal body actually goes back 2,500 years to Greek culture. So here's this picture of this guy named Discopolis. It's a sculpture. And so here's this guy, this you know, athlete, ready to launch the discus. And his body, it looks like realism, but actually if you get into the art history of it, you go, well, actually it's not exactly in the same way that it's not exactly what we're seeing today when we look at the glossy photos and things like that. But it's real. And uh, even though we might go, I know it's not real, it, it's, it's real enough that we start comparing ourselves with that. And, and so then it shapes how we think about our body. Eight out of 10 women struggle with that very thing. Four out of 10, up to four out of 10 men struggle with our body image. So, you know, there's different voices that are saying different things. Our body's talking to us and telling us things like, you're, you're, getting, you're getting old, dude. Uh, culture's talking to us. You're not, you're, not, you're not really a beautiful person. You don't have that body that everybody's looking for. Um, and then we need to just catch up. So what does God's word say? Well, how, what is God saying about this? Because I don't, I don't think we're tuned into that. And actually, the Bible says a lot about the body. So we're going to talk about the body, we're going to talk about physical health, and in doing this, we're going to be listening to God's word, which is a good word for us. It's a clarifying word for us. It's an encouraging word, and it's going to be a challenging word too. So when you think about what the Bible says about the body, just think through the biblical storyline. We start in the beginning with God creating the body, right? And it's perfect, and it's designed in the image of God to last forever. But it doesn't last forever because Adam and Eve rejected God, said we want to do life on our own, and they sin and their rebellion. They move out of God's blessing, disconnected from life-giving God, and they're cut off from that, and now they're under the curse, not under the blessing. There's decay that sets in, and death. Third part of the story is, through faith in Christ, because of his resurrection and conquering death and sin, we have the promise of resurrection bodies. Created perfect, now ravaged by sin, with the hope through Christ of new bodies that last forever. 
That's the biblical sweep. So we go back to uh, the first one, the whole thing of created by God, for God, in his image. Genesis 1:27 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Literally, a living soul is the word there. Uh, the psalmist, speaking, uh, thinking and contemplating about God's work of creation, said this, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So, create perfect to last forever. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Creating the image of God. So when we say the image of God and the likeness of God, God is not physical. John 424, God is spirit. We worship him in spirit and truth. But there's parts of our physical bodies that correspond to God. Let me give you a couple examples. God sees, we see. God hears, we hear. God speaks, we speak. Creating the image of God, our bodies, perfect, designed to live forever. Now that all changes. Genesis chapter three. Our bodies ravaged by sin. And as we reject God's rule in our life, thinking we can do better in life, we're banished from his presence. We're under the curse. There's decay. There's death. There's conflict in relationships with each other. There's separation from God. There's conflict with the enemy of God, Satan himself. And there's disorder within the created order. So it's groaning for it to be made right. Romans 8 will talk about and so no longer can it be said of humanity that we're naked and not ashamed. Nope. We're living under this hovering cloud called death. And we're living under this covering of fig leaves from our own shame. And the curse is now marked upon us. But by God's grace, there's this promise of a better day, of new bodies that'll last forever. Those promises for resurrection actually happen in the Old Testament. So there's hints. Job chapter 19, Job, in the midst of his suffering, facing death, as his body's being ravaged by disease, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and one day I'll see him. Job 19, Psalm 22, David talks about the resurrection, about life after death. Ezekiel 37, he has this beautiful, powerful vision of this valley of dry bones, and all of a sudden, this vision, he sees the bones coming back to life and being wrapped in muscle and tendon and flesh and living again. This vision of resurrection life. Jesus explicitly teaches resurrection when he says to Martha, in the throes of Lazarus' death, you know, he's met Martha. They're all mourning about Lazarus, Jesus' good friend who's just died. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? John eleven twenty five twenty six. 25, 26. So we get resurrection bodies. The Bible will talk about resurrection bodies. In Revelation 21, verse 4, these bodies will be experiencing no more sorrow. There's no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And when Paul talks about the resurrection body, he says it's indestructible, imperishable. It's glorious. It's strong. It's powerful. So here's what we kind of need to find ourselves in the storyline. Are we in the Garden of Eden class? No, we're not there. 
can't even get back there. So the interesting thing is, there's a lot of people in this world when it comes to the body, that's exactly where they're trying to get back to. Bodies and beauty that last forever. But remember the storyline, he posted it, the angel said you can't go back in there, why? Well, because if you went back there and ate from the tree of life, you'd live forever in a cursed state. We can't go back there. Are we, just class, are we in heaven yet? All right, these bodies are reminding us, right? This body's not the one that's, this, this thing's breaking down. The world headline, the city's headlines, right? They're telling me, I'm just, talked to a cop, said I was at a homicide, six bullets through the lady's apartment, went and found somebody dead in the next apartment. This isn't heaven. This is all jacked up, messed up, twisted, broken world. So where do we live? Right in the middle of the story. Under the curse with the promise, right? But it's not just under the curse with the promise of better things. Actually, that God meets us in our brokenness, under the curse, facing death, and he comes to us, even though we rejected him, he comes to us with mercy. He's pursuing us through his son, Jesus Christ, and he desires a relationship, a relationship that means he comes into us through his Holy Spirit, giving us new life, new desires, new power to live for him and to trust him in this day for the better day and all that's hard in this day. That it's just today, it's not forever. So what we want to do is then think about, you know, what health looks like from God's perspective. We know what Mayo Clinic, we trust, we trust Mayo, right? When you're searching online, are you going to Mayo? I go to Mayo, I'm going, I trust Mayo. If it's on Mayo, it's good. So we go to Mayo Clinic's website, and you know, we're, we're noodling around for what does physical health look like? We know the categories, Right? The categories are going to have to do with things like our weight, our body mass index, right? Our blood pressure, our diet, our sleep, our rest, right? Our strength, our flexibility, exercise. Those are the markers of health. Those are good things. But it's not how the Bible is going to talk about our body and physical health. So, what is the Bible going to talk about? There's one fundamental verse that I want us to get our minds focused in, and it, there, it's like one of these concepts that's just going to take time to go deeper because I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, well, I've known this verse like all my life, but I haven't, like, I haven't thought about the implications of this verse like I am thinking now. And so the verse is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it begins in verse 18. So the context is Paul is addressing a church so I love this, you know, because people will say this. I just wish we could get back to the first century church. And I'm going to like the church at Corinth because they were like really messed up. And one of the areas they were messed up in was the whole matter of sexual purity. And so there are some crazy things going on in the church. And he's addressing that. And he's calling them to live holy lives in the area of their sexuality. And so it's this verse that's answering the why. Why should we do that? And here's what he says. Here's the because. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Third person of the Trinity. Who is in you? Whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So I want you to just kind of hear the logic 
of this passage. Our body is God's temple. Why is it God's temple? Because God's Holy Spirit lives in us. Christ has given us his spirit. His spirit marks our life off as belonging to God. He gives us new desires and new power to live for God. This is the spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us. God himself, Christ's spirit in us. So our body belongs to God, not us. So we, we've been talking about stewardship, right? In November, money matters. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Psalm 24. So there isn't anything that we have that our name is written on that we go, that's yours, Lord. That's yours. My time is yours. My money is yours. The, the gifts and talents you give me are yours. And now we're being reminded, so too our bodies. Our bodies belong to God. He bought us with the price, Christ's death on the cross. Therefore, honor God with your body. So, there's an indicative and there's an imperative. I know, it's been a long time since we've been to that class. There's a statement of fact and there's a directive or command. God's commands always follow indicative statements of fact. The statement of fact is my body, your body, if we are in Christ, if our faith is in Christ, and we've been given new life in Christ, then my body is fundamentally a temple. I think here's the thing that's probably I'm catching up with. I think I've read this verse, thought about this verse like, like a metaphor. You know what a metaphor is? For cows. Anyways, that was bad. All right. Okay. I just, did you guys get it yet over there? All right, just check it. Um, that was my English teacher, junior year, Mr. Foote. That was such a bad joke. All right, so I thought about it like a metaphor. A metaphor is a comparison. So the, that our body is kind of like, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of what it feels like. That's not what he's saying. It's not like a temple. It is the temple. And so are the other believers. Temples of the Holy Spirit. That's the statement of fact that drives us and motivates us and propels us and empowers us to do the command, honor God, honor God. So when, when, when the world talks about what does health look like, you know, we can think of all the external manifestations of it. And the Bible's just working out in a different way. It's not like those things have nothing to do with it, but there's something more fundamental what I want us to think about in healthy living is healthy living isn't about how ripped I am, how I compare to the standards of beauty and strength and masculinity and femininity or whatever it is out there. It's do I honor God with my body? So what we're going to do is we're going to reverse the flow. We're going to go from what does it look like to honor God with our body? And there's three verses that I want to point out to then go back to this kind of big temple, temple thing. All right, so how do we honor God with our body? The first is we offer it back to God as worship and we take on the posture of a living sacrifice. So this is what Paul says in Romans 12, verse one and two. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So this is our response to God's mercy to us in Christ. It's what he's been talking about, chapters one through 11 of Romans. In view of that, everything I've been telling you 
about God's mercy. I want you, in view of that, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. They didn't say, go get a sacrifice. Go bring a sacrifice. Become a sacrifice. And perpetually live your life offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we get that, like, so we were just doing that. We're doing it right now. Our body includes our mind right now. You're thinking with me, or you're thinking about the Packer game. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> we're using our bodies. We were singing praises, using our bodies. We're being kind in exchange with one another. But we're going to be using our bodies in all kinds of ways. And in all that, we're to honor God as we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, right? So he goes on to say this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. I love Philip's paraphrase. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. How you think about your body probably right now is being more determined by the world than it is the word of God. It's just because it's such a dominant message all around us, all the time. And it's a visual message. So it's got like double import. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed. How? Renewed minds by the renewing of your mind in the truth of God's word, right? Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I remember so clearly the lecture when Dr. Wearsby, one of our profs in seminary, said, so this verse lived out in my life looks like this. Before I get out of bed, before my feet hit the floor, I just go through and offer my body to God. I say, God, thank you for a new day. Thank you for a good night's rest. And I'm just offering my body to you. I, I'm giving you my mind. I want my mind to be set on things that are, that are true, that are honorable. I want my mind to be set on things above. Um, I'm giving you my mind, my thought life. God, I'm giving you uh, my eyes. Um, I, I want to see you. I, I want to I see the things that you're doing in this world. I, I want to make sure that my eyes are seeing the things that are noble and beautiful and true and not looking on the things that I shouldn't be looking at. I give you my eyes. I give you my ears that I'd hear your voice, that I'd be sensitive to things around me. Lord, I give you my mouth so that my words are filled with truth and grace that they build up and don't tear down. Lord, I, I give you my heart that all my desires and affections would be fully satisfied in you. Lord, I give you my hands that they'd be busy doing the things that you've called me to, that they would be clean hands and a pure heart, Lord, honoring to you. Lord, I give you my feet because I want to walk with you today, be in step with your spirit. I don't want to stray and go my own. I don't want to go to those places I'm not supposed to be, Lord. He just would present his body as, a, as he just kind of meditated, lying in bed before he got up, offering our bodies as living sacrifices, holy, blameless, pleasing God, living to please him. And when we do that, what we're doing is keeping the great commandment. The scribe came to Jesus trying to trip him up. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? Jesus didn't flinch. Well, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. What's the last one? Strength. What is that? What do you think that's pointing to? Our bodies. We've got to catch up with that. When, when we're called to love God with all that we are and have, get out of this, 
this narrow thinking that somehow it doesn't have anything to do with my body and how I treat my body, what I put into my body, what I do with my body. Remember, we were bought with a price. Our body belongs to him. So we're keeping the great commandment. You want to honor God? Offer your bodies every day as a living sacrifice. It's our logical work and worship. There's a second thing that we need to do, and it has to do with exercise. But it's not the exercise that we're thinking of when it comes to healthy living. When we think about healthy living, we do think about exercise, and that's part of a healthy body, that we exercise, take care of it. But the exercise that the Bible's going to talk about is exercise self-control. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, talking to his young protege, Timothy, the pastor, young pastor, at the church in Ephesus, and, uh, you know, he's struggling. He says, listen, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear. I know you're freaking out, you're afraid, you're intimidated, you're so young. Listen, that's not from God. God has given us a, a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. In fact, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Exercise self-control over our body is a part of honoring God with our body, all right? So, let me give you a, a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Sanctified is another word for holy. Sanctified has this idea of that we're set apart for a purpose. That you should avoid sexual immorality. Immorality is this word in the original that means any sex outside of marriage. Any sex outside of marriage. You should avoid that. That each of you should learn to what? Control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust or desires like the pagans. Who are the pagans? People who do not know God. And so we're exercising self-control in our sexuality. No sex outside of marriage. As God defines marriage. There, we're exercising self-control in this area of anger and expressing our emotions that often take, you know, place within a body that is like going crazy. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, James 1.19. Exercising self-control concerning food. The Bible say, no drunkenness, don't get drunk. Be controlled, rather, not by alcohol, but by the Spirit of God. Don't, don't be gluttonous. Don't gorge yourself. In fact, you have these two combined in Proverbs 23, 19 through 21. Listen, my son, and be wise and set your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine. They're on the wrong path. Or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. So Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I discipline my body. Some of the older translations use this word, I buffet. It's kind of this old antiquated word. Like some of us are confused. We thought Paul was saying, I buffet my body. Because <laughs> it's spelled the same way. And so we like, thank you, Lord, for giving me 1 Corinthians. That's my life verse. I buffet my body. All right, but seriously, this is a big deal. 
So what do we know about food? Uh, it's from God. You know, there are times in, in God's history he said, I don't want you to eat these things. And then through Christ, everything's, everything's there for our good and benefit. These are good things. Jesus uses food, the bread and the cup, to help us remember the central act of his love, dying on the cross. Jesus says, I'm not going to celebrate that with you again until we feast in heaven. We're going to feast in heaven. Jesus loved the table, celebrated, right? So this is good. But good things can become bad things when we turn them into something they weren't meant to be. So I don't look like a person who struggles with self-control around food. But the truth is, I can. So I'm what some people would call a nervous eater. It kind of sounds really nice. I mean, I'm just a nervous eater. And then when I get to rationalizing, of course I am. Like I'm in the fifth generation of bakers on my mom's family from Switzerland. And I'm sure if Jesus grew up in Switzerland, he wouldn't have said man cannot live on bread alone because the bread is so good in Switzerland. But I'm a nervous eater. There are times when there's stress in my life and some of us will go work out, some of us will shop, some of us will drink too much. I tend to eat too much. And so all of a sudden food is becoming something that it wasn't meant to be. It's actually becoming something I'm trusting in to navigate it when the Bible's really clear. Cast your care on me, God says, because I care for you. Don't be anxious for anything, Philippians 4, 6 and 7. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Not the piece of cake. That was good. I didn't say that the last two series. Someone write that down. I'm going to add that in there. Okay. The peace of God. But I'm, but you know, so, so you guys, this is really, this is big. This is big. Self-control. I didn't hit all the areas. But that's how we honor God, self-control. There's some things that we might want to start implementing in terms of fasting. Where we go, you know, Jesus said, you know, my food is to do the Father's will. That's where he found his strength. So, and, and you know, we can't do this on our own. So that's one of the beautiful things about some of our support groups. And so I see some of the leaders of Celebrate out here today. And we're so grateful because Celebrate helps people with you know, things like this where we struggle. And so, honor God, exercising self-control. So, the last one in way that we honor God has to do with that whole thing of when our body's breaking down through sickness, where we continue to trust God that he's good, that this isn't the end of the story. I am going to get a resurrection body in the midst of this fight of faith, and it is a battle. And these things are out of our control. So Lori and I were skiing yesterday. We were having a great cross-country ski over at the local park. And it was awesome. And I was just thinking, I couldn't have done that a year ago because I just had shoulder surgery. And so these things are out of our control. But what's not out of our control is our, our response to God in the midst of things that are really hard when, when our bodies are breaking down, when there's this new normal. And we get a, we get a great taste of it through the life of Job, who remember the story. He loses his sons and his daughters, and he loses his daughter-in-laws and son-in-laws, and he loses all of his grandkids, and he loses all his possessions, and then he gets hit with disease. 
And here's what he says after the disease starts uh, ravaging his body. I wish I were never born. I've lost all my strength and my disease has reduced me to skin and bones. I'm estranged from my friends and relatives. Remember his wife says, curse God and die. Get it over with for you and for us. My cries pour out like water. I shout for help, but there is no answer. That's where some of us are right now. God has uprooted my hope like a tree. He's kindled his anger against me and considered me as his enemy. This is what he feels. I wish he would just crush me. I wish he would cut me off from the land of the living. I wish I were dead. And Lewis wisely observes the body and soul live so close together that they can catch each other's diseases. And so within our body is our soul and our spirit and it can work both ways and they're all connecting. And so Paul will say to his friends at Corinth, don't give up. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, we do not give up in the midst of all the trials and sufferings. And here's our perspective. For our momentary light affliction, and it feels like forever, and it's a burden. It is so heavy. He said, no, it's momentary and light is producing, God's using it, he's not wasting it for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, the sickness, the disease, our weakening body, but, what on, but on what is unseen, what is true about God, what is true about that new body that we will one day receive by his grace. For what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. This is huge. And it demands focus and not giving up. And it's not about strong faith. It's just that whatever little ounce of faith you have right now, even if it's the little fingernail on your little finger, it's touching Christ. It's all about that. It's touching Christ. And sometimes all we can do is hang on to people who are touching Christ because we can't even seemingly do that. But it's all about Christ and not giving up. And it's messy. And you might get in these throes and you go, wow, I, 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 I don't feel like a very good Christian right now. It's not about being a good Christian. It's about not giving up, believing that God's good letting the pain take you to Christ's pain on the cross for you and believing the promises that seem so far removed and could never happen that I'm, this, is, this is just for now and forever is gonna be no more pain, sorrow, sickness, sadness, death. Honor God, offering our bodies every day. Honor God, exercising self-control. Honor God, when it's all going south, breaking down, that we continue to trust God, not giving up, focusing on what is unseen, not seen. So that takes us to the temple. All right, we gotta talk about the temple. So what do you know about the temple? What we know about the temple is God designed it. It was first called the tabernacle. He gave it to Moses, the plans up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he had it built by specs, and it required skilled craftsmen who were filled by the Holy Spirit, Bezalel and Aholiab. It required tons of effort and craftsmanship. All kinds of beauty was part of this portable 
tabernacle, temple. We know there are all kinds of men that were priests from the tribe of Levi that took care of it. And when they would set it up and take it down, they all had jobs to do. We know it was a place where the unholy people of God could meet with a holy God through the sacrifice and offerings given by the priest. We know that at the heart of it, where God's presence rested over the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, we know that was the Holy of Holies that the high priest could only, only go in one time. We know from Scripture... We read this in Exodus 34, that when they finished constructing the tabernacle, that God's glory descended upon it. So check this out from Exodus. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. That's the, the, another word for tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What happened? Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because he couldn't go into God's holy presence. Nobody could go into holy, God's holy presence except for the priest one day a year on the Day of Atonement. So this is portable. This is moving around the wilderness, right? Getting into the, getting into, uh, the period where David says, I want to build you a house. You can't. You're a man of war, but your son will. Solomon builds this beautiful temple, ornate, overlaid with gold, all this beautiful stuff. The same kinds of places and spaces, the altars and all the things, the priests, all there. And at the end of the dedication, God's presence comes down and his glory fills the temple. Then what happens is the glory departs. Ezekiel has this vision that God is no longer resting with his people. Their disobedience and rebellion, he moves away from God's people. And the glory of God doesn't show up again in the scriptures until John chapter 1, verse 14, when John says the word, speaking of Christ, the perfect communication from God about God, the word became flesh and lived, the word is tabernacled. And he tabernacled among us. The only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. Now, if you and I lived in Jesus' day, most of us here are Gentiles. We couldn't get very close into that space because there are all these kind of parameters and fences. So there was the court of the Gentiles. We could get in the court of the Gentiles. If you were a Jewish woman, you could go a little step forward. You're getting a little closer. That was the court of the, the women. Then the Jewish men could get like front row seats. They, they could get into the, the core of the men. But then after that, that's all for the priests. And again, the Holy of Holies only for the high priest. And then we read that on, on the day that Jesus died on the cross, and he, and he uttered, it is finished, and he died. Matthew tells us that something happened in the temple. Remember what it was? The curtain was torn from top. This is like 30, 40 feet up. In other words, this is God's doing. Somebody did rip it from the bottom. Okay, we got it now. This is cool. No, God did it. When Christ died, he opened up this new and living way into the very presence of God so that we can have fellowship with God, so that we can call him Father and he calls us children. But, but it, it keeps getting better because we, we don't just have access into God's presence. All of a sudden now, Jesus says, I'm going to go, but it's better that I go because I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes into us, all of a sudden, 
God's glory comes into us. The third person of the Trinity, God's spirit is living in Christ's followers. That's a game changer that motivates us to honor. It empowers us because this is the spirit that rose Christ from the dead. It gives us new life with new desires to actually want to honor God with our body. And so Christ is now in us through his spirit, the hope of glory. And I guarantee you that none of us got up this morning, went to the mirror. We didn't do the Ephesians 2.10 move where we said, that's right, in Christ, I'm a masterpiece. We said, I'm a disaster piece. <laughs> we didn't do the temple thing. We didn't. We were, we were thinking about the aging thing. We're thinking about the culture thing. We're thinking about the disease and sickness thing. And God says, we got to see ourselves for who we really are. We're not like a temple. We are the temple. And so let's bring it home. Jesus is an expert in cleaning up temples, turning over the tables, driving things out that don't belong. We need Christ to show us what it is. There's things that are out of control in our life that need to be brought under the control of Christ and his spirit. And he's not asking us to do anything that we can't do through Christ and his spirit and the help of his people and prayer. What do we, what do we need to exercise self-control over? What is God telling us right now about honoring him with our bodies? What does it look like right now in our sickness and illness to honor God in a body that we feel like is failing us? We keep hanging on to Christ. And if you think about it, if Christ hadn't come in a body, we wouldn't understand who the Father is. We wouldn't understand what grace and truth looks like. If he, if he hadn't come in the body, we wouldn't have a sympathetic high priest. We could have a high priest, but he wouldn't understand. But he took on a body. He said, sacrifice and offerings you did not ask of me, but a body you have prepared. And that body is a game changer in the story of Christianity because that body suffered through all of those 33 years, ultimately death on the cross so that he could conquer death. That body was raised up to give us hope in the resurrection. That body is the same body that's coming back to make all things new. And until then, he's given us the spirit. And so, church, this is profound. And we're not gonna find this stuff out in culture. We're not gonna find it in the live strong stuff. We're not gonna find it in the self-help stuff on exercise and fitness. But it is fundamental to our faith and honoring God with our bodies. Let's pray. So Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We're amazed how it just keeps talking to us about all of life. And we're called short, and we know what to do. We confess that. We're not gonna grovel in it, but we're gonna confess it. And we're going to turn away from those things. We want to repent of those things. And we want to keep turning away and looking to you. So, for, Lord, for some of us, the body has become our source of security.
and we've turned our body and our beauty and our physique into an idol. And we just confess that. At the core of who we are that matters forever is that we're your kids, we're, we're daughters, we're sons. Lord, we, we do, we do want to embrace this teaching that we're temples, that we're temples. And we're just catching up to it. And so thanks for your mercy and grace that we could have lived this long and, and not really understood this. And now as we understand this, Lord, you, you're holding us to a higher level of living rightly in light of this teaching. And we need your help. We need your spirit. And we thank you that you've placed us in a family. And so I just pray for my brothers and sisters for whatever it is you're asking them to do in this area, that they wouldn't do it alone. They do it understanding that you've never stopped loving them. And even if they make improvement, Lord, that, that you won't love them any more than you already do. And so help us, Lord, to honor you with our bodies as we remember that we're temples now. In Christ's name we pray, amen.